The Lord has placed upon my heart a, a message about mountains in our life. And my desire, my absolute, sincere, earnest desire is that God would inspire you, encourage you, and help you in some way as I deliver this message to you. He will speak perfectly. Amen? And I know that his voice wants to envelop your mind as well as your eyes and your ears, your whole being, so that he would shift your perspective on what you're navigating through right now in the context of your life. I don't have to convince any of us of the mountains we deal with. I began this last Sunday to address the issue of mountains in our life. Jesus makes a statement in Mark chapter 11 and verse 23. And as he does it, he's approaching mountain in this context as something that's negative by analogy or by metaphor. It's something that's negative in your life or my life. It might be a mountain of, of pain, a mountain of grief, a mountain of anxiety, a mountain of fear, a mountain of confusion, disappointment, disillusionment, a, a mountain of doubt or unbelief. It could be a mountain of sickness, infirmity, disease, a struggle that you're contending with. It could be the mountain of a, a marriage that's gone south. You feel it's unraveling and the potential of divor divorce is just pulsating all around you. It could be with your job or your finances, or just a situation that's intimidating you. It's steep, it's high, it's, it's big, it seems to be immovable and permanent. God, I know, wants to speak to us about mountains in our life. And so Jesus makes this statement in Mark chapter 11 and verse 23. He says, for assuredly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed, be cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Now, in the context of this passage, as well as in the whole scope of teaching from the New Testament, this is by no means endorsing the idea of the progressive deification of who we are and thinking that whatever we say or speak will come to pass. He's inviting us to align ourselves with him, to align our tongue, our speech, our mouth, the description of the things that we experience and see, to align our way of thinking and speaking with him. Now that puts us in a completely different category. Now you are yoking your mind, your heart, your speech with him and what he has decreed, what he declares, what he says. He is God and now you're aligning your speech with his. And when we do that, and we do it with faith in our heart, with confidence to know this is God's will and his ways, that those things that we speak in harmony with him and his will from his word will come to pass. Now, in this portion of scripture, Jesus says something one verse before, in verse 22. He says, have faith in God. It's in the imperative mood. It's the mood of command, a mandate, a declaration over you and over me. Have faith in God. 
Have faith in God. And the prerequisite, the precondition here of being able to see a mountain removed is that our heart would have faith and there would be no doubt, no unbelief. Well, therein lies the challenge for you and for me because there's situations that we contend with It might be a struggle with an addiction. It might be a struggle with anxiety or fear or worry. It might be a struggle with our our physical health. Or maybe as you're going through a a series of achieving various degrees, a certain test that you have to take in order to acquire your, your, your profession. It might be, again, your marriage or relationship finances. And you just don't have the faith to deal with it. I know all of us hit that point in our life. I know I have. And so this is a rhetorical question, but I invite you to reflect on it. What do you do when a mountain doesn't move? I shared that last Sunday. I'll I'll underscore that again this Sunday. What do you do, though, when a mountain doesn't move? When you don't have the faith to match the challenge, the difficulty that you're contending with. Now, I shared with you a a simple approach, but it was profound to me because I could hear God saying it to me personally. When I said, Lord, this mountain before me is intimidating. It seems to be permanent, immovable. I wonder if I'll ever gain any level of victory over it. And that's when he said, Gary, we're going to climb this mountain together. And as we climb this mountain together, there'll be the development and the maturation of faith in your heart so that your whole being will be filled with the the weighty faith that is needed and a heavy trust in me that is needed to then begin to crush this mountain under our feet. So I knew it wasn't going to be instantaneous. There was a process with suffering, difficulty, patience required, a challenge. And so as we journeyed together, I knew I was in a conducive environment to receive the command that Jesus gave, have faith in God. And now it wasn't something intimidating to me or beyond my reach or capability, now I knew in being with him, it would develop faith. And as I traverse over this mountain with him, that he would give me victory. And I speak that same word to you, because when you even think of it contextually, we we think that it's the mountain before us, and when we speak, it's cast into the sea. But potentially, without too much conjecture, without stretching the text, I think it's safe to say that you could also be positioned on the mountain when you speak to it. And it could be removed from underneath you rather than just before you. And so as we move forward in obedience to God and consider the most conducive environment to gain that faith that is needed to deal with the mountain, It's your connection with him, your relationship with him. Think of what it says in James chapter 2 and verse 23. It says of Abraham. Now, at first you might, again, like I would feel, intimidated. Abraham, he's the father of faith. Of course, 
he believed God. And that's what the scripture says in James chapter two, verse 23. It says, Abraham believed God. But then it goes on to say, and he was called a friend of God. That's always helped me. Because to think of me trying to psych up faith, especially with something that's big and intimidating, I'm comforted by the reality that what Abraham capitalized on was his friendship with God. And in that intimacy, in that close connection, that wasn't religious, but was relational. Again, faith was not something mechanical or magical. It wasn't something sterile. It was relational. It was a relationship with God. And in that milieu, in that environment of friendship, what was cultivated? Faith in God. Because it afforded Abraham the opportunity to behold the faithfulness of God, and that engendered a faith in God that was stirred up. Because what? The foundation was friendship. You and I can do friendship. It's a choice in your life to make God a priority and to say, okay, this mountain that's before me, that's so intimidating, I wonder if I'll ever be able to get over it or if it'll ever be moved. Maybe you'll consider taking a different dangerous path. You become discouraged and disappointed, disillusioned, and that evolves into unbelief. That's a dangerous path. Or might you say, all right, Lord, I'm going to climb this mountain with you. I'm going to capitalize on the fact that we're going to do this together. And in our friendship and in the mystery of that friendship, in that relationship, faith is going to begin to grow in me. I won't even realize it. But a trust and a faith in you will grow bigger and bigger and bigger and stronger. And others might look out and say, how do you believe in God so strongly? Say, I'm with him. I, I walk with him. I listen to him. He's my friend. It's understandable that in that context, I trust him and believe his words. Last Sunday, I shared about some mountains that when you go up, what God will do. Let me share a little bit more because not only will when God speaks to you, will he take you up higher Will he use this as an opportunity as you walk with him to develop the faith you need to be able to speak to the mountain that it would be removed? Not only does he cause the mountain to serve you, not master you, to be under you and not over you, crushing you, but he will do amazing things on the mountain. And we have the opportunity to look at some pictures that are given to us in the Old and New Testament of what he does. I shared about two last week. Let me elaborate on a few more. On Mount Tabor, I said a little of this last week. Let me just continue on that. It's recorded in Luke chapter 9. Three of his disciples are with Jesus. They go up a mountain. Well, what happened? Again, in your journey of saying, okay, Lord, I'm going to climb this mountain together with you. I'm going to lean into the reality of this struggle and this battle that I'm dealing with in my health, with my finances, in this relationship, in my mind. I'm going to go with you. When the three went up with Jesus to Mount Tabor, and I've been in Israel and have gone up that mountain, it's high. It is high. It's a high. That's why the scripture will say it's a high mountain, Mount Tabor. When he was up there with Peter, James, and John, 
Theologians call it then the Mount of Transfiguration because the scripture says that the countenance of Jesus changed. There's no more description than that. All we know is his countenance changed and his apparel, his robe turned white and it was just glistening. And then Moses and Elijah come and speak with him. Now that's symbolic of the reality of the the law and the prophets and Christ fulfilling that. But what was happening to the disciples? They were allowed, and this we gain from Peter's comment in his epistle, 2 Peter, he'll say, in that encounter on the mountain, I saw the majesty of Christ. So you see, I saw the lordship of Christ. Now, how did that translate into helping us? When you go up that mountain, Jesus and the way you see him is going to begin to change. All of a sudden, it's going to go so much deeper. You're going to see him with new eyes because the closeness and the difficulty of the journey will force a more in-depth perception and perspective of who he is. And you will see him with new eyes. And when he's transfigured before you, you'll be transformed on the inside. And here's the epiphany moment. Here's the revelation moment of what will happen. You will see his majesty and his lordship. And guess that what that does to you? You realize then this mountain, any problem you contend with, any fear, any anxiety, any struggle does not own you. You are owned by the Lord. What will explode in you is a freedom and a liberty. You'll realize a paradox is fulfilled. That his total lordship over your life is not tyranny, but liberty. You're set free. When he is in charge, nothing else can be in charge over your life. No situation, no person, no set of circumstances, no lack, no disease, no infirmity, no sickness, no fear or anxiety or worry. He's in charge. I tell you, when I go up that mountain with the Lord and all of a sudden I see Jesus in a whole new light, like Peter said, I see the majesty of my Lord and his lordship over my life. All of a sudden, I realize I am pregnant with freedom and liberty. I'm delivered. And I say, oh, thank you, Lord. This problem, this struggle, this anxiety, this discouragement does not own me. I'm not chained to it anymore. You own my life. You are in charge. Let God give you that. Pull that in, in your heart, you'll be transformed. Genesis 22, it speaks of Abraham. He goes up a mountain. He's encountering God. For him, it's a mountain of death because a promise had been given, but a new instruction had been delivered from the Lord that created a level of perplexity and confusion because God invited him sacrifice the promise. Didn't make sense. Yet the scripture describes the condition of Abraham's heart in Hebrews 11. It'll say he, he trusted that even God could bring that which is dead back to life. 
See, does it give you a sense of what was happening on that mountain? Was that a difficult mountain? Of course. Would he have loved to say, oh, let this mountain be removed? But this was a, a mountain that was challenging him. And in his close relationship with God, he experienced God's provision in unexpected way. You see, for you, maybe your mountain is an unanswered prayer. I can relate to that. Everybody in here can. And you could be a candidate to get really discouraged. I've prayed and I've prayed and I've prayed about this job, these finances, my health, my marriage, my wayward kids. Boy, the answer is not coming. Matter of fact, it's dead. This promise seems dead. That's where Abraham was at. He had a promise from God that was about to die. And he was experiencing that on this mountain. But then in the middle of it, in the moment when everything was settled in his heart, that sacrificial obedience, then God gave an unexpected provision. Unexpected. He didn't know the provision was going to be a ram that was stuck in a thorn bush. He didn't know that. He didn't see that coming. As he was going up that mountain, all of a sudden God said, no, no this is what's going to happen now. This is really my plan and my strategy. And it afforded Abraham the opportunity to see God in a whole new way. And this he declares. And it's the first time it appears in the Old Testament, the Tanakh, in the Hebrew. A description of God as, and Abraham says it, God, as I've climbed this mountain with you, I will now call this mountain because of this unexpected provision unexpected provision. Note the adjective, unexpected. I thought you were going to do it this way. But the provision came. He says, I'm going to call this mountain, this experience, I'm going to call your name Jehovah Jireh. That's where it appears. Genesis 22. Now, a lot of times, like, Jehovah Jireh, yeah! He's going to provide financially. It's so much bigger than that. Jehovah Jireh is that if you are walking with God, no matter what situation you're dealing with, he will always provide. It may not be what you expect, but it will always be a provision. Unexpected, expected, but his provision, his daily bread will always always be there for you. Well, you'll only experience that in the difficulty, in the challenge, in the sacrifice of going up the mountain with him. And then, oh yes, your eyes will be open, your heart will be open, and you won't flap it from your tongue superficially. You'll mean it from your very gut. He is Jehovah Jireh. He will provide for my marriage he will provide for my son and daughter who's gone wayward. He will provide the strength to overcome this difficulty. He will provide. He's my provider. In Exodus chapter 3 as well as chapter 6, Moses now goes up a mountain, Mount Horeb, the scripture says, and there he encounters God 
God gives him a new assignment and he feels so intimidated. Maybe for you, your mountain is a mountain of insecurity. You may feel alone. Even though you might have a healthy marriage, I've got a healthy marriage, a wonderful wife, wonderful children, grandchildren, an incredible pastoral staff. But there's moments when I feel alone, all alone. Especially when you begin to hear God tell you to do something new. Venture into a new territory you've never gone. And Moses was hearing that instruction from God and all of it. Sudden, what it created in him is all kinds of internal tension and an acute awareness of his inadequacy and his sense of insecurity. And so God comforts him with this statement. And it's actually recorded in Exodus chapter 6. He says this, Abraham, Jacob, Isaac, they knew me. They knew me as El Shaddai. El Shaddai, Hebrew word for declaring the God of the heavens. God of the heavens. His majesty. But he says, but you're going to know me as Lord. Now what appears there is the tetragrammaton. That's the four consonants that the Hebrew scribes would then insert the vowels and you would get the word Yahweh. And Yahweh was based on the Hebrew verb to be, present tense. That's why translated, I am. Yahweh, I am. And so the statement he's making to Moses is, listen, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, they knew me. They knew me as El Shaddai, the God of the heavens, and rightfully so, because I am. But you will know me as Yahweh, the God on earth, present tense, with you. What a moment for him. You might be going up a mountain, and all of a sudden, he's going to give you that revelation. You might feel so alone, and that sense of isolation, alienation might be pulsating and gripping you. And then all of a sudden, you'll look at him and say, wow, in this journey, and he's going to deposit a faith moment in you, see? A faith-building moment. And you're going to see him as Yahweh. Not negating that he's the God of the heavens, but accentuating that he's the God on the earth with you right now. Sound familiar? Emmanuel, God with us. God with us. You're not alone. I know it's difficult. The disease might not lift. You might still be in the hospital when you're listening to this. Your marriage, you might, someone might have already served you. Divorce papers. But you are not alone. But you'll only experience that on the mountain. This is hard, yeah. It's that environment. Hard, it's difficult. I feel so in, insecure. If you're on the mountain with him, Get ready. All of a sudden, you're not going to hear it like some theological construct or some lesson you heard in Sunday school. All of a sudden, it's going to be, yes, yes. 
It'll be a revelation, an epiphany moment for you. And you'll say, you are Yahweh, the great I am present with me right here and now in the middle of my pain, in the middle of my struggle, in the middle of my confusion, in the middle of this difficulty. Your waters will run deep. There's another experience that Moses has. We're familiar with it. It's recorded in Exodus 20, Mount Sinai. There's a lot of theologians that feel that Mount Horeb and Mount Sinai are one and the same. I really don't know and I really don't care. What I want to know is what happened on that mountain. And for him, as God gives him the law, this happens a lot of times when you're on a mountain with the Lord. Because there's such a, a stereotype of God's commands as being restrictive rather than directive. As, as holding you back rather than thrusting you forward. And when you have an encounter with God on the mountain, as you're going through this difficulty, whatever it is, he's going to press in the issue of why his commands over your life, as it says in 1 John, are a blessing and not a burden. A blessing and not a burden. That his commands, the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments that we're so familiar with, just that alone, in that moment when he was on the mountain and God gave it to him, you know what happens for us when we have that encounter? All of a sudden, he transports, listen to me here, he transports his law that we interpret with our mind as sometimes restrictive and confining and holding us back, it gets transported from our head into our heart. And there he indelibly writes it upon the tablet of our heart as truth. You see, all of a sudden our eyes are open and we say, oh, wait a second. When we, you tell me not to worship other gods, there's so much bondage in idolatry and so much freedom in exalting you as the living God over my life. When you tell me not to have any false images, it's because you're stripping away any false imagination, false concept about who you are. So I see you the way you really are without any distortion, without any false portrait, without any false image. I see you because the way you perceive him will affect the way you receive him and the way you represent him to others. So he makes sure that you see him in that right way. And all of a sudden you realize your name. I don't take it in vain because your name is not empty. It's not void. It's full of majesty and power and authority. And to keep holy the Sabbath is to engage in the rest that you have for me. And to honor my mother and father is to remind me that good godly authority will bring protection, not bondage. And to walk in love and in covenant is so much better than the breaking of it in adultery. And to live a life of giving and not taking and stealing and, and promoting life and not death. And not lying, bearing false witness. Because when you speak a lie, you'll begin to live a lie. And the moment you believe a lie, something in you will die. And then you don't have to be bound by jealousy and envy and comparison, coveting. No, you have a godly contentment in your soul. You see, he takes the law and he puts it into your heart and you see it as truth. And the truth sets you free. 
And then Elijah, he's on Mount Carmel. You know what happens there? Now listen to me here. It's going a little longer, but I got to close the, 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 the part one, part two now. So if you, you're watching online, just, you know, it's nice. You could put it on pause and you could go get something and come back. You guys can. You're the captive audience. Another mountain experience is with Elijah. Now follow me. This is when the fire comes down on you. It's uncomfortable. But it's a fire that comes not to destroy you, but to purify you. A fire that comes not to wipe out your life, but to reveal it. It's a fire that comes to remove every strap, every chain, every place of bondage, iniquity, and captivity. Just like Elijah dealt with the false prophets of Baal, and all of them were wiped out when God descended with fire on the mountain, that's exactly what God will do in your life and my life. The world talks about it this way. They say, hey, what, what, what demons, what are your personal demons? You know, what, what are the demons you have to face? And we know in the context of the conversation, they're talking about what struggle, what difficulty, what, what area are you battling with? Is your demon anxiety? Is your demon perfectionism? Is your demon lust? What, we know that. But we know also the New Testament actually te teaches us about real demons and darkness that are associated with various sins. So however you apply it, the reality is he's going to deal with the demons that come and torment you. If it's thoughts or feelings or a perspective or it's literal forces of darkness, which I know exist, I've been involved in exorcisms. Whatever it is, his fire will come upon you. Where? On a mountain. See, now you're beginning to say, you know what? I don't want this mountain moved. I want to climb up. You're having a whole alteration of your perspective. Wow, you mean I can be a candidate then for your fire to fall over my life? And as that fire falls, it removes darkness and bondage. It removes the bales, the false things from my life. It purges me and refines me like gold. It doesn't destroy your personality. It advances it. It doesn't annihilate your destiny. It enhances it and thrusts it forward. His fire falls. And then the last, I want you to see another mountain. This is the mount where our Lord died, Mount Calvary. But you know what happens in this moment when you're with him on a mountain? And I'm speaking to you, not some theology. I'm speaking to you my own experience. When I've gone up that mountain with the Lord and I've experienced where, wow, I see your lordship and I experience you are Jehovah. Jireh, and I experience you are Yahweh with me right now in the midst of it. And I experience your truth is here to set me free. And I experience a fire that purges away darkness from my life. Then it becomes that moment when I realize my vertical connection results in a horizontal reach. And life is not just about me anymore when I'm on the mountain. I realize at that moment, when you go up the mountain with the Lord, you gain a heart to reach in order to help and save, bring deliverance to others. The joy it brings to me sometimes when I'll visit someone in the hospital, haven't been able to do that with this COVID season. But when I've gone in there and I've heard them say, Pastor, you wouldn't believe it. And I know they're there with cancer in their body. 
in tremendous pain. And they'll go, Pastor, I've had the opportunity to share my faith with the nurse and this doctor and my roommate right over here. You can preach to them right now. (laughs) And I'll say, you're not even aware. You're not even aware why you're in the hospital. No, no, I'm, see, you know what's happened? They're on Mount Calvary. They're with the Lord. They're close to him where all of a sudden they're seeing even beyond their own mountain. You hear me? They're seeing beyond their own struggle. Suddenly it's disappeared. Wow, now you've really, you see the faith that's built in you at that moment. It's like, no, I'm seeing my opportunity to reach like my master did on Mount Calvary. He was reaching selflessly, sacrificially to others. What a tremendous opportunity on that mountain with the Lord to gain a heart that says, I'm not going to be self-centered, self-focused. I'm going to reach out to help others. What a beautiful opportunity God gives to us when we climb the mountain with him. And the faith, by the time that faith is all developed in you, you'll realize your mountain has become a little molehill and you'll just walk away in your journey with him. Let's stand together. Let's stand together. I want to say this too regarding Mount Calvary. Kind of look at it from a different angle. For those of you that are here, maybe in the overflow room, those online, maybe you're in the middle of a mountain and you need to encounter Jesus as your Savior and as your Lord. I'm going to ask every head to be bowed, every eye to be closed here in the sanctuary, extended sanctuary, there in the overflow room. Everyone who's listening as well online, if you've never climbed Mount Calvary to receive Jesus as your Savior and as your Lord, pray this prayer with me. Jesus, I repent of my sins. I turn to you. I invite you to come into my heart to be my Savior, the forgiver of my sins, and to be the Lord, the ultimate leader of my life. I receive the promise of eternal life and the promise of abundant life as I give my life to you in the midst of my mountain I have found you Jesus as my Savior and as my Lord I receive you now and I'll follow you all the days of my life everyone can look up now on the screen there'll be ways that you can stay connected and continue to grow where you can text and we'll get some resources to you to help grow in your walk with God but I just encourage you at this time in your life, I don't know, maybe after the service, when you're at home, when you're all alone, say, okay, Lord, you know the mountain. No no one has to tell you, you know it. Help me now to climb this with you and in this journey, reveal all that you've promised to me and grow my faith, grow my trust in you, Make me strong. And as you strengthen me, I want to reach to others and help them. My eyes are set on you. And when you don't move the mountain, I trust you. And I know in our friendship, you're building trust and faith in my heart towards you. 
is something bigger that God's doing in your life, far bigger than the mountain you face.